all the privileges that Moses had seen in the presence of God. And yet he still asked in Exodus 33:18, show me your glory. Moses, we might be able to say of any of the men in the Bible and the women in the Bible, perhaps seen some of the greatest privileges of anyone, except maybe Adam and Eve, when they walked with the Lord in sinless perfection before the fall. And Moses still said, it's not enough. Lord, can I see your glory? Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to begin looking at some of the sovereignty of God. We're also going to see the heart of the Apostle Paul for the Jewish people in a message that I titled, God's great mercy and compassion. I broke this message into three points. We're first going to see in verses one through five, a great sorrow and continual grief. Six through 13, the word of promise. And 14 through 18, God's sovereignty. And Father, I pray that you would be with us. Help us, Lord, to receive from your word that which the Spirit is Desiring to say to your church today, to this church, we pray, Lord, speak to us. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Also, the children of God, verses 8 and 9, that is, those who are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So we get back to Genesis. Now we're in Genesis chapter 18. God promised Abraham that Sarah was going to have a son. Sarah was listening behind a tent door. I can't believe that a tent wall is so thick that you can't hear what's going on outside. And the Lord's talking to Abraham. And the Lord's telling Abraham, Sarah's going to have a son. Sarah's inside the tent, giggling, laughing, thinking, I'm 89 years old. It's not happening now. Maybe when we first came in the land, when I was 65, maybe a rare thing, but possible, but not at 89 years old. She laughed because both Abraham and Sarah, the Bible tells us, Genesis 18:11, were old, well advanced in age. She had passed the age of bearing children. Sarah, as I said, 89 years old, Abraham at 99. And so I understand why she laughed. The thought of them having a son and to 
having grown so old, it seemed such an impossibility. And in response to Sarah's laughter, God asked, Genesis 18:14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, the, it's a rhetorical question. Of course not. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And it's good for us to remember that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Therefore, it is best to place all of our trials, all of our concerns into the capable hands of God. It's the children of promise that are of Abraham's seed. In Galatians 3.26, For you are all the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verses 10 and 12, we find the purpose of God being revealed first through Jacob and Esau, verses 10 and 12. And then we find that again, uh, this issue of love and hate, which I said we get back to. I said this earlier in verse 13. First of all, Jacob and Esau. Verse 10, not only this, when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of the works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Isaac and Rebekah, they've been married for 20 years by the time that this situation came up, actually coming from Genesis chapter 25. Rebecca was barren. They'd been married for 20 years. She pleaded with Isaac to give her a son. And he said, am I God that I could do such things? So Isaac went to the Lord and pleaded, Genesis 25, 21. He pleaded with the Lord for his wife. And God heard his prayer. Rebecca conceived during her pregnancy. She felt a struggle inside her. And she took that concern to the Lord. And the Lord revealed to her, that two nations were being formed in her womb. One would be stronger than the other, but the older would serve the younger. God's choosing of Jacob over Esau, Esau being the firstborn, Jacob the secondborn, Esau being the stronger of the two boys, Jacob being the weaker or the lesser in strength, we might say, of the two boys, it had nothing to do with the boy's character, their behaviors, because they hadn't even been born. God's choosing of Jacob had everything to do with his divine purposes. Not of the works, not of the works of Esau, not of the works of Jacob, but of him, of God, who calls. And therefore it is written, verse 13, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now it said earlier, when we were doing our responsive reading, that we look at the words love and hate, and we think differently in the English language today than the Hebrews did in their language. Verse 13 actually comes from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where it says, To Israel, God saying to Israel, I've loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. The Hebrew word translated as hate here, it does not mean the same as our English word. The biblical Hebrew lacks the necessity and the language to define in a comparative sense more than or less than. 
And so instead, it tends to express two things which may be comparatively uh, different in agreement, like first and second, first and last. And so in this way, love and hate, while appearing to be opposites, it actually means a greater versus the lesser. Jacob, I loved more. Esau, I loved less. Might be better reading of this. But God's choosing of Jacob over Esau had nothing to do with the characters, the behaviors of the boys. Otherwise, they could boast. It is God who chose even before they came out of the womb. What's even more incredible is that God has chosen us. That is, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Think about the work that God has done in your own life. Think about the things that you have done that have in the past dishonored God. Think about the value that he has given us, that he has chosen us. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, speaking about being the chosen of God, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Did you get that? David talked about, in Psalm 139, which we read earlier today in our responsive reading of God fearfully and wonderfully making him in the womb of his mother. Rebecca prayed about the battle that was going on in her womb. And God said, you have two nations. Twins are going to be born to you there. There's a struggle even in your womb. But the older shall serve the younger. God chose Jacob even in the womb before the boys even had a chance to do good or evil. God chose one over the other, saying, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. But here we read in Ephesians 1 verse 4 that he has chosen us before the foundations of the world. Before the world was even formed, God has chosen us doesn't go back to our mother's womb, whether we were chosen to be a follower of God or not, to believe in Jesus or not. He knew us even before he formed this world. That's a lot to wrap our minds around. But just know this, that God loves us so much that he has chosen us, he predestined us to the adoption as sons and daughters through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So to call upon the name of Jesus in life-saving faith, it makes us children of promise. We also discover at that moment that we become the chosen of God. Finally, in verses 14 through 18, he begins to talk about God's sovereignty. And remember, he talks about God's sovereignty in chapters 9 through 11. So we're going to be dealing with this for the rest of July into August. So even if you have questions, let's get through these three chapters. Maybe the questions that you have will be answered as we go through uh, these sections of Scripture. He begins in verse 14, God showing mercy. He says, 
What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So Paul presents a question in the minds of his readers. Perhaps he's thinking, I know what they're thinking, so I'm going to deal with it now. He asks, in God's choosing of Isaac over Ishmael, or God choosing of Jacob over Esau, does this make God unjust? And the answer, certainly not. This was a matter of God's sovereignty over Abraham's descendants. Verse 15, for he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. There in Exodus 33 is where God said this to Moses. God had separated himself from the nation of Israel at this point. He said, I'm no longer going to go with you. I'll send my angel before you, but I'll no longer be in your presence because Israel is a stiff-necked people. He had Moses pitch a tent outside of the camp. And the Bible tells us when Moses would ever go out to the tent that the people would rise up in their tent doors. They would worship God at that time as he went to be with the Lord. Moses, there at the tabernacle of meeting, he asked the Lord, show me your glory. Moses had received a lot of privileges that many of us, we couldn't even imagine. Seeing the burning bush on a mountain, a bush that could not be consumed. To hear the voice of the Lord saying, take off your, your sandals, you're on holy ground. To have the mighty works of God performed through the rod of God there in the nation of Egypt. Ten miracles that came through the hand of Moses at that time. To see the Red Sea to be parted and the children of Israel to pass over on dry ground, to have the same sea uh, drown the Egyptians who attempted to follow after them, to see the Shekinah glory cloud of God, the fire of God uh, between them and the Egyptians and God's glory to be with them. He went up to the Mount of God. He received the Ten Commandments. He'd seen a lot, but he had not yet been satisfied. He wanted more. Yesterday, we were at family graduation, one of our niece's daughters graduating. And so we're with family and outside they were tossing bags into a little hole on a board. And inside there were some deep theological conversations going on. So one of the individuals talking about trying to imagine heaven, thinking, you know, it says we're going to worship God. It seems like after a while you'll get done worshiping. And you'll want to do something else. And all I said, well, it tells us in the book of Revelation, the four living creatures, day and night, they're saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and who is to come. And when they would say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, that the elders would throw down their crowns and worship before the feet of Jesus. And it was a continual worship service that never ended. They would throw down their crowns and they would pick them up and get them back on their head, and all of a sudden they'd hear the four living creatures say, holy, 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 oh, time to worship again, cast the crowns down. And they would pick up their crowns, and they would hear them say, holy, 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 oh, time to worship again, continual worship. Now I say all that because I just thought of this as I was reading this. All the privileges that Moses had seen in the presence of God 
And yet he still asked in Exodus 33:18, show me your glory. Moses, we might be able to say of any of the men in the Bible and the women in the Bible, perhaps seeing some of the greatest privileges of anyone, except maybe Adam and Eve, when they walked with the Lord in sinless perfection before the fall. And Moses still said, it's not enough, Lord, can I see your glory? And then God said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses experienced the mercy of God, but God declared at that point, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. The sovereignty of God at play here. Romans 9, 16. So then it is not of him who wills, speaking of the individual, of him who wills our desire, nor of him who runs, speaking of our race, our walk in this life, but of God who shows mercy. Receiving God's mercy doesn't depend on the person's will, that wish, that desire, what I would want. God's mercy is in God's sovereign control. Likewise, God's mercy isn't dependent on a a person's race. We might say our walk, our race in this life. The Greek word actually means to strive forward with great exertion. And so we think of that him who runs. It doesn't take me long to get to that place of great exertion these days when I run. I can do it for a little bit. And then things begin to fail miserably. (laughs) But it's not about how I run in this life as far as God's mercy is concerned. It's God's in his sovereign control. Therefore, God's mercy is not received by anyone's desire, anyone's effort, but by God's grace alone. In Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. His grace, his mercy, his work, not ours. And again, God's eternal purposes, verses 17 through 18. For scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. In Exodus 9, 16, it tells us, But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be declared in all the earth. Paul pulled this right from the word of God. God had raised up Pharaoh, the Egyptian people at that time, that he might show his great power in them through the judgments against them. There were 10 plagues that God brought upon the Egyptian people. It is believed that each of the plagues dealt with one of the Egyptian deities that they worshipped. God saying that I am over all your gods, all the gods. That God would show his great power in them that would be proclaimed through all the earth. 
when Joshua finally made it to the promised land, before they went in, he sent two spies into Jericho that they could spy out the land, the city of Jericho. We know Rahab took in the two spies. Rahab said to the two spies in Joshua 2.11, As soon as we heard these things, our heart melted in us. Neither did remain in us any courage any longer because of you, for the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. What things had they heard? They had heard the things that God had done in Egypt, what God had done to the kings of Og and Bashan, that they heard these things. They had recognized that God is God in heaven above all the earth. God's demonstration, his mighty power in the land of Egypt caused his name to be declared throughout the then known world at that time. And yet it tells us, verse 18, Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. We're going to get into this, as I said, as we go into chapters 9 through 11. And so I'm going to save what I had written about God hardening Pharaoh's hearts at a later time. We'll, we'll get into this in our introduction to next week. Because, one, I'm going to save us a little time here. Number two, I didn't intend to get to verse 18 today, but it really finishes out the thought. If I would have stopped in verse 16, I wouldn't have finished on Paul's thought. And so I wanted to take it a little further, also knowing that I'll need to back up and pick up next week here in, in verses 14 through 18 will will remind us of these verses and we'll begin to talk about Pharaoh and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Maybe you've thought about this before. If not, I'll challenge you to think about it this week. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Does it seem unfair that he would do that? You read through the Old Testament. It almost seems that Pharaoh didn't have a choice in the matter whatsoever. So we're going to discover some things next week about three Hebrew words that are unique to the story of Pharaoh and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart as found in the Old Testament. We'll look at that next week. It seems like when you witness to people who are not believers, sometimes to try to deflect the conversation from them, they'll try to move it somewhere else. Like the woman at the well, when Jesus was ministering to her, she discovered suddenly this guy knows quite a bit about me. She says, oh, what about you Jews? You say Jerusalem is the place to worship. We say this mountain is the place to worship. I don't know if it's wise to have a theological discussion with Jesus Christ about proper place of worship or not, but all she was trying to do was deflect the attention from her that one pricks. It's getting personal. Let's talk about religion. And you might witness to someone, and it might start pricking their heart, and they're thinking, this is getting personal. Let's talk about those people down in South America that never heard the gospel. What about the people in Africa that's never heard the gospel? Sometimes it's not, what about those in one place or another? Really, it's about the condition of our own heart before the Lord. We discover with Pharaoh that he had a hard heart. That's what scripture tells us. 
Have you found that living in this world has had a hardening effect upon your heart? That's a dangerous place to be. If the world is hardening our heart away from God, then we are in a dangerous place. That is what happened to Pharaoh. We'll get into that next week. But it could be that the hardness of this world has caused our heart to be softened toward God. Such hearts are ripe for the mercy of God. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he had loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. While God's sovereignty brings judgment to some, it also brings salvation and mercy to others. And the path of God's mercy has been paved, though, by the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Realize the high price that God has already paid, giving his only begotten son. That path has not been paved by our own efforts, our own desires, but by the very blood of Jesus Christ. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.